This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first here, whenever he deals combat damage to a player, he rolls a d20 and then tells that many dad jokes. It's Matt Morgan. Well, so I figured out finally why aliens have never come to Earth and it's because our solar system has terrible reviews. Apparently we only have one star. What? <laughs> there it is. I, I'm so glad that it settled and then you got it. Yeah, it takes takes a quick moment, but man, when you when you get those dad jokes in, they're um they're 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 incredible. I when, when I they're in, they're incredible. I, I see what you did there too. Nice job. I don't think you meant to do it though. I, I super didn't. Uh, but I have much to learn <laughs> from you about the the art of the dad joke and all of the heliocentric humor that you're able to. Bring That'll to happen. Podcast. I mean, I, I have to leave everybody wanting more. Of course, of course. Um, and up next, I would normally introduce our third co-host, Dana Roach, here, but he's actually not with us at the moment. He is still currently, at the time of recording, having a ball in Command Fest Vegas, so we're actually just going to have a quick two-person show between Matt and I. Matt, what is it that we're talking about in this episode, actually? Well, this week, we're just going to do a general check-in on the format. Uh, what does Commander look like in mid-2022? Uh, we've been going back to paper events and in-person events again. So it's kind of nice to have some some feedback from fans. And now we just want to kind of ruminate on that a little bit. There you go. Yeah, it should be a whole bunch of fun. I look forward to having this fun discussion about what's Commander up to these days with you. It should be a, a cool convo. We're just going to kick back, relax, and see what we each think about what's going on in EDH. Uh, real quick, before we get into our main topic, we want to pause and thank Chase, aka Mana Curves, for helping us with the post-production of the show. Chase, thank you so much. You are so wonderful to work with. Everyone, give some love to Chase. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show. They are Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Dot com. They are rad and you can find links for their websites on EDH Rec. Just go to the card that you want to buy, use the links, and that supports both EDH Rec and the EDH Rec cast. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can still go to patreon.com slash EDH Recast, where if patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join the Discord community that we have going on there. So if you don't have a local play group, our Discord is a great way to find a great community to play games with. And there's also other perks too. You can find all sorts of them over at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And we're still doing that awesome shout out, weekly shout out. So Stephen Hunter, this week you get that super special shout out. Hopefully you get to play some hunters. That uh, seems like Baldur's Gate was full of them. So <laughs> living up to your namesake, thank you so much for the support and thank you for just, yeah, being a rad human being, I'm guessing. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. Y'all make the show happen. We appreciate every single one of you. Okay, Matt, let's get into it. Let's talk about a uh, a state of the format, I guess. Let's let's do a, an, a format checkup, sort of like a doctor's visit. Like, let's just like tune in with EDH and see how do we feel that it's going? Is everything healthy? And I guess I'll, uh, I'll toss that question to you. Like, 
Is the EDH format healthy right now in your humble opinion? I, I do think the format is healthy. I think obviously like anything else, any other health checkup, there are things that could be better. You could probably be eating a little more veggies, getting a little more sleep, <laughs> little things like that. But overall, yes, I, I think the format is very healthy. It's in a good place. I think that with everything that's been going on with Wizards of the Coast turning an eye towards it, I think Commander has felt a little more pressure over the past, I would say, year and a half, two years-ish, pretty much since kind of COVID stepped in and, and also happened to coincide with, you know, just Watsy turning their eye towards Commander as the cash cow format. It puts some pressure on the format, but I also think that the format's big enough and strong enough that it can handle that pressure. That's a fair assessment. It, I think it does take a very special type of format to be able to withstand the relentless number of products that are directed at yes. the format that we get every single year. And yeah, like you mentioned, um, there was a lot of pressure, especially placed on it from like Commander Legends and a whole bunch of cards came out at that time. Um, every format, uh, every set since Commander Legends has sort of felt a little bit like Commander Legends to me, Uh huh. up to and including the most recent Commander Legends 2, like the actual Commander Legends sequel. Yeah, the, the, um, the legitimate Commander Legends set also right. happened to be a Commander Legends set. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It does take a very special format to be able to withstand all of that and stay healthy. You mentioned that like, just like anything, stuff could be a little bit better, eat some more veggies, get some more sleep. What is the EDH equivalent of that? What is the... um? The thing that you think that uh, it could use the most work on, so to say. I think that it's done a good job of, of working on itself. And as far as like that, I mean, the players have done a good job. And I think because in-person play hasn't really happened until somewhat recently, mm. people have gotten a lot better about communicating with strangers when they sit down to play over spell table, for example. Uh, you see a lot more like social media discussions talking about, well, well what does rule zero mean? What does the social contract mean? And so that's just kind of in the forefront of a lot of players' minds, more so than I think it was before everything kind of got locked down. So I think that's mm. just given a lot of players an opportunity to take a lot of mental notes of how to handle the, you know, those pregame situations before you sit down so that, you know, those those bad games are are kind of taken out of out of circulation because people are, are better about addressing it ahead of time. Mm. That is one thing that I think is happening pretty well. And so, yeah, I would, I would say that, you know, the, the player base seems to be working on themselves or whatever the, the meme of oh, just being, being bad, being hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just been a process for sure. But I do think that commander is headed in a, the right direction. I appreciate this focus that to, <laughs> it is important, I think, to acknowledge not only does like commander need direction support from like the people who make the game but like we the players are also a very important ingredient within that mm -hmm. uh within that improvement soup i don't know if that's the the right word to say it's <laughs> i don't think that's the right word to say <laughs> well like basically we can't just ask wizards of the coast to stop printing cards like expropriate we as players also have to make sure that we stop voting time like does that make sense does that make more sense does that metaphor the, yes yeah yeah <laughs> there, there's internal and external factors and the the internal factors you know the, the, the player themselves uh, yeah. that, that's less to get worked on yes i i, I do agree with that but what, what, okay, so what about you what do you think commander as a format needs to work on. Well, so, I mean, that that is really just it. Um, like the stuff that you had talked about, I feel as though one of the biggest worries, concerns, things to stay aware of when it comes to Commander is certainly how often you are being able to negotiate a, a gameplay experience with complete strangers. Uh, like, and, and that is a thing that we had a lot of success with when we were in uh, the Command Fest in Richmond, which was a whole bunch of fun. And I think it's important for us as people who make content about EDH to disclose, like, how often we do play with complete strangers. For you and I, I think mostly our meta kind of involves ourselves. And then also, like, in the case of me, like, it's friends and family. In the case of you, it's a lot of close friends as well. And I'm not sure how often you play with complete strangers. And so that does affect the way that we might view how successful things are going. But in general, when we had a whole bunch of games back to back, when we were playing with strangers it was really easy to navigate those conversations because there were a lot of players who were excited to do so and so that is always my biggest worry when it comes to the health of the format and so far with some anecdotal evidence i was really pleased to see how well a lot of those conversations were able to go so i've got a, a big smile on my face and a big thumbs up as a result of that because that is my chief concern and it will always be my chief concern, but that part really impressed me and that part made me really happy. I, I do agree that Richmond was extremely smooth with 
as far as just looking at random games, everybody seemed to be on the same page. I can't remember any, you know, any stories of, well, so-and-so sat down and they pulled out their big bad Kalia deck and, and, you know, stomped <laughs> the table on turn four and everybody was kind of disappointed. I didn't hear any of those stories. And I think that's a, a good a good thing to hear because we're just getting back into paper and people are, like you said, they're, they're excited to play games. But I think on some level, folks might be excited to kind of flex those muscles that they didn't really have before of, I know how to have this conversation. I don't want to have that bad experience. I want to, you know, value my own time, all those kind of things. So they're a little more proactive, I think, about making sure that everybody's on the same page. People are more willing to talk. And I think, too, their people are a lot more clear about what they're expecting from their games. I think that's that's fantastic. And I, I do agree. Anecdotally, all of the, the conversations with strangers have been going significantly better than they were back in, I would say, 2020. <laughs> yeah. And that requires a lot of time, dedicated attention to make sure it stays that way. Um, and that is certainly a player responsibility. Yeah. So I hope that we continue to hold ourselves to account in those ways. Um, a, a point that came up on a, uh, I think, a somewhat distant Command Zone episode. I'd like to bring uh, this to you. Uh, this was a Command Zone episode called Dear Commander Design Team. I think it was their episode 440 or 439, where they brought up a point about the speed of the format, that the format was getting a lot faster. And specifically, they name a lot of the two mana rocks, you know, the liquid metal torques and the arcane signets of the world. And a sheer density of those has allowed the Commander games to end um, many turns earlier than they used to many years ago. Is that a concern for you? Do you think that that is quote a problem? Is that a thing that you would that you wish would change? How do you feel about that idea that that they put forward? But just kind of depends. I think some playgroups are getting into that. You know, they're they're slowly power creeping up, not in these huge ways, but in these. Okay, well, I'm going to shave off you know half a uh, half a mana on my average CMC in my deck. Just little things like that. I think every playgroup is susceptible to that. So I don't think that is unique, but I think that might have been just maybe influenced a little bit by a playgroup. Because I also know that Gavin Verhey has gone out and been very specific about saying, we saw the issue that some of these cards had. And so we want to explore the, de the, the design space at three mana for mana rock. So having a three mana mana rock that has some sort of upside some sort of value like cursed mirror is one that they they called out very specifically so there is a lot of cool stuff going on at the higher cmcs and they're exploring some space but i do think for a while there yes they kind of tiptoed about around with a little more powerful a little too efficient maybe and so it's a kind of a pendulum i think it's swinging back the other way from that but also i i understand why they would have had that pressure on games are ending quicker now because you know, eventually, you know, you you lose to a friend. You want to beat that friend the next game, so you make a <laughs> make a couple changes. I think that's perfectly natural. That's that's human nature. I mean, on this very podcast, we've praised a lot of the direction of Wizards of the Coast, you know, exploring more of the three mana rock space. And I feel like we wouldn't be heaping that praise on them unless we also got a sense about like stuff like two mana rocks increasing the tempo of the format to the extent that it has. I, sure. I like the phrase most what you said there about it being a pendulum that might be swinging back. And there are more things that I would like to see that help encourage that that swing pushing back against the speed so that everyone has the opportunity to do something is a thing that I am hoping to see more of and things like that more of in the future. So Matt, let me ask you this now, and this is a pretty quintessential question, I think on these okay. types of episodes, if you had to ban something in the EDH format, what would it be? Oh, this, this is the, this is where we lose listeners, isn't it? This is the, uh, <laughs> Oh, you, you're banning the wrong card. Okay, so I know I've ranted about Turgrid before. Turgrid got a fright, the mono black problem of a commander. Uh, I, I, I've ranted about it before, but I, I will throw it out there again, but not because I hate playing against it, not because it's a poorly designed card, whatever. Uh, I'm going to call out to kind of conversations that the Rules Committee and, and Sheldon Mennery have had in articles and their release notes, all that. So they talk about signpost cards as far as we're going to ban this card in hopes that you, that the community sees we're banning this type of card. So you play less of that type of card. Mm -hmm. uh, Iona was one of those big ones where you're not allowed to cast spells of a certain color. That's a not very fun card. It's stopping players from playing. Sway of the Stars is another kind of card that it resets the game. It just causes unsavory board states, unsavory play experiences. Mm. 
those are the types of cards that that they specifically call out as it's not that this card is a problem necessarily, but the the play patterns that it encourages, that's the problem because it's not the type of games that we're looking to cultivate in the format. I think Turgrid is a perfect signpost to wrap up a lot of not overly powerful necessarily, but problematic because of the 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 gameplay patterns that they encourage. I know a lot of people have, have said Toxroll the Corrosive is another card where, mm. oh, it just stops people from essentially playing creature cards a lot of the time. Uh, I think if we're going to talk about these very hard commanders to get out from underneath, Turgrid is a good example that... Yes, it's it's a very unfun, but it's also going to be a good signpost ban to get rid of, at least not not effectively, but to discourage players, I should say, from playing these other types of commanders like Tiny Bones, for example, where <laughs> a lot of people, oh, I like having ha- cards in my hand and this doesn't let me ever do that. Those are the types of signpost bans that I think the rules committee tends to favor. And I think Turgid would be a good example of that. The, you're right. This is absolutely the part in the conversation where we lose listeners. That's, like, that's fine. I mean, we'll, we'll get a few more. It'll be all right. Uh, well, and, that, and that's just it. It's just like <laughs> to share an experience online invites plenty of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But that's well, and, and as soon as you started explaining a lot of uh, your thoughts behind these and the idea behind signpost bands, which like signpost bands make a lot of sense to me when viewing EDH from like a little bit of a zoomed out lens. And yeah, those are good things to do to encourage a certain type of gameplay. But of course, the common thing that you always hear whenever it comes to bands is like play more removal or whatever. It's like, oh, whole breacher dies to removal. And it's just like, okay, that's not the most constructive conversation to have, though. And so like helping cultivate a joyous play experience for everyone at the table is like the thing that we're all here to do. And that is definitely the lens that we all enjoy taking. And so I appreciate the way that you approached this part of the conversation is basically yeah. what I want to say there because that's important. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the, the play more removal argument, while I, I get it, people in general should play more removal. A lot of these cards prevent you from drawing that removal that you need in order to answer <laughs> these cards. Whole breacher stops you from drawing to your removal. Iona stops you from casting your removal. Turgrid stops you from having any fun ever. So yeah, like <laughs> I, I get the play more removal argument. I support it, but also the a lot of these cards that are getting banned are cards that prevent you from drawing that removal to begin with. Yeah, when when, when the only argument is like play more removal, it's it, it's like, gee, where'd you learn so much about magic? <laughs> you know, like that has already been accounted for as part of the discussion before we got to where we currently are. Come on. Yes. Like, yeah. And also, like, I think it's really important to say that just because someone disagrees with you, it isn't because they don't understand you yet. They understand you and they disagree with you. And that's okay. It, tell, telling the combined hundred plus years of experience with Commander that the Rules Committee has <laughs> fundamental concepts about Commander and just magic in general always is my favorite argument. Because it's like, oh, gee, we haven't thought of that ever. <laughs> and, and it's so funny, too, because we can mention that, like, you know, if these cards are fine for your playgroup, that's what Rule Zero is for, is like, you can play these with your playgroup. And like, the internet is such a fickle place where somehow that conversation turns into, well, then why is there a ban list even? And it's just like, okay, that part of the conversation is stretched too far. Like, this is an academic exercise, everyone. We're just asking if we could ban something, what would it be? So. Yeah, Joe, Joe, if you're surprised by whataboutism on the internet, I have a whole lot of property in Arizona that has beachfront property to sell you. So, Oh, that's funny. Um, I, I think for my part in this, like... I don't particularly care. Like, I think the card that everyone expects to hear right now is probably Dockside Extortionist. Like, when I look around online, that is the card that I see a lot of people are just like, this is way too powerful. And, like, I agree it's a card that is more powerful than they expected it to be. But something is always going to be the best, and it doesn't bug me too much necessarily. Yeah. So I'm I'm not too bothered by it. Um <laughs> I don't know, like if if Cyclonic Rift disappeared tomorrow, I'd kind of like shrug. I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess, sure. Um, so it's kind of a lame answer is probably mine. I'm just like Rift, whatever. I don't know. It's like that's a one that can stop people from from doing fun stuff, but it also can cause fun stuff to happen too. Like I I don't have a strong answer about this, even though I know it's I'm supposed to submit an answer. Um, so I think you have a stronger feelings about about the Turgrid than I do about any other card in the format right now, Matt. <laughs> I mean, I also know that the, the rule zero conversation is pretty strong. Like, I, I'm not shy about sharing my feelings. And so, you know, if, if I sit down and somebody pulls out a trigger deck, like, I, I will go out of my way to make sure, you know, I understand what I'm signing up for. And 
I'm not afraid to walk away from a game either. And so, like, I'm on the same page as you on on both of your points. A, something's always going to be the best. People are always going to say, well, this best thing needs to go away. But also, I don't have super strong feelings one way or another. Like, whatever the rules committee, like, I've disagreed with what the rules committee has, has decided before. Like, I thought the tuck rule was fine and dandy. I, I liked it. But also, that was a different that was a different time. That was when Perforos was literally everywhere and, and Prosh combo commander or combo decks were everywhere. So it was a very different time. I think the tuck rule looking back, like, okay, that made sense now. And like at the time I hated that decision. So yeah, whatever the rules committee decides, like I'll go along with, I may not like it or I might grumble, but <laughs> I'm also not going to, you know, threaten to quit the game that I'm not really going to quit the game. Just <laughs> rah. I think it's important for me when it comes to like banning discussion, like on EDHREC, we do have the top salt cards, like the most salt inducing mm-hmm. cards, which is voted upon by the community. And we see cards like stasis and winter orb and static orb all show up like in huge numbers on the salt scores. They all have uh, a really big, like the community has been like, now nah, we don't like these cards that prevent us from untapping stuff doesn't always create the most uh, fun play experience for everyone at the table. The thing is, like with that, or even with examples like Armageddon and many other mass land destruction effects, those also have high skull scores. But there are so many of those effects that banning any one of them is like, <laughs> it, it would be a nominal gesture to try and make a signpost ban any, out of any of these. Yeah. But also, this is the fun thing about the format is that it tends to self-regulate as well. Like if you are going to enter into a game with any of these cards, you tend to know about that too. So I don't, I don't know. I, there are some cards that I certainly don't like to see across the table. But like we said earlier, negotiating that play experience tends to be pretty successful i mean my family meta is my meta like i play games with my with my folks and that has been very useful for me to make sure that i'm cultivating a joyous experience for every person at the table because i don't want my mom to walk away from a game being like hmm, i don't want to play with joey anymore you know like that's oh oh i'm gonna ground you for that one (laughs) yes exactly and that's an attitude to carry into any game how about flipping the academic exercise? What if we went to, if you had to unban a card in EDH, what would it be? <sighs> um, this one, I, I've never really had any strong thoughts about. Like, like there's, because a lot of them at this point too, it seems like there's there's ways to do any given effect of cards that are already on the ban list. And so I, I would say, I normally... I think I would say coalition victory. Hmm. It, it, there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. That's a very popular one that the community, I think, says it's a safe unban. But yeah, and, and also because there's probably at least one or two every year card, cards that say you win the game on them. <laughs> so and none of them are necessarily super popular. There's you know a lot of hoops to jump through with every single one of those. I think maybe the most played at this point is Approach of the Second Sun. Oh, sure. And so, yeah. I, I, I'm not really sure what I would unban. If I had to say that the safest one that would cause the least amount of of grumbles and waves, but also is probably the most repeatable to to unban as far as like there's enough legal effects that unbanning this one card probably wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket would be Gifts Ungiven. Uh, hey, the, uh, well, it, it's interesting that you would put that out. That would actually, I think, be my answer as well. So that's interesting. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I was going to say like, I, I didn't do anything that bad. I just said oh, Gifts no, Ungiven. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So so like a card like Coalition Victory, it makes sense to me why that is on the ban list because that is a card that out of nowhere ends the game all of a sudden. Yeah. Um like so, you know, if you have the conditions met, you have all of the lands and a creature of each color, which in a five color deck isn't necessarily impossible, but it is like there are some hoops, but the experience of seeing that card hit across the table is kind of like, oh, now the game's done. Oh, okay. I guess the game's done. Yeah. And that's not always what everyone wants. And that's why a card like Biorhythm also like, oh, suddenly if you don't control creatures, Biorhythm means that you lose the game. And it's like, oh, that's I, I guess it's done. I'm not sure that's the ending that I'd wanted, but okay. Like, so that's kind of the feeling that it, those types of bands seek to avoid mm-hmm. gifts ungiven. I feel a bit more comfortable about just because it is like, it's a tutor and there are a lot of those in the format already. And they seem to be like a self-selecting kind of thing. I'm not saying I think it would be healthy. I'm not saying that I want to, but like, since this is a, a thing that we have a huge density of is cards that get stuff into the graveyard. This one would like, if this came off the ban list, I wouldn't be shocked because as you've said, there's a there are a lot of other cards that also do this kind of thing. So, like, I could see it. I'm not going to say it yeah. must happen, but I, I, like, I wouldn't be too surprised. It doesn't feel unfamiliar, maybe. Yeah, I, if you're trying to get things in your graveyard, it's not like 
Entomb effects don't already exist and yeah. buried alive. Well, not even those. The card Intuition feels like the bigger mm-hmm. comparison. It's not. And, and if you're trying to tutor things, there's already a whole format full of tutors. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the effects of Gifts, Gifts Ungiven are probably the least unique. And so it being there... I, th- I think it needed to be there originally when the format was kind of blossoming and taking off. But at this point, if the rules committee thought this would be a safe unban, I'd be like, yeah, I agree. Um, but also your, your points about coalition victory, I totally get because yes, there are hoops to jump through, but with every Yavamaya making every land a forest, like <laughs> those hoops are getting easier and easier to jump through every single year. Right. And so I, I, yes, it, it's a, it's a give and take with, with coalition victory specifically. I, I think if I had to pick a different one, I, I almost want, I look at Embercool, the Aeon's Torn. Miss 15 mana, take an extra turn, Annihilator 6. And I'm, I'm not like, oh, the format's definitely healthier with if this was legal. But I do look at it and I'm like, I could imagine some pretty exciting gameplay scenarios with this thing if it were legal. And that to me is also a big uh, a big thing. It's just like, would unbanning a thing benefit in some ways? And I, in Embercool's case, like big card. But as time goes on, I'm just like, well, we got a lot of pretty big and huge mm. game ending cards, high mana stuff going on pretty much every set nowadays. So it's not like the most out of this world thing necessarily anymore. I, oh, oh, you don't agree? You, you don't, like I, the I, I don't think Emrakul brings anything positive. Fair enough. To I, In the words of Josh Lee Kwai, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Oh, and I agree on that and with Gives Ungiven. I, I'm, I'm not saying like yeah. I'm, I'm gunning for these to be unbanned. I'm just like I could imagine places where someone being able to cast an Emrakul in a game of Commander feels like the reason I'm playing Commander. So like mm-hmm. it would make sense to me from that front where I'm just like this does actually create something pretty fun and memorable. Um, so like that's that's all I'm saying is that, that is another aspect of a banned conversation that I think is important. I've, not just the oh. raw power of the card, but the thing that you get out of it and whether it creates something fun. Yeah. Annihilator 6, less fun. But casting an Emrakul cool that's pretty impressive <laughs> I, i've played against enough sneak and show decks in legacy that i know emmer cool does nothing good <laughs> no matter what you're doing so yeah i, totally I fair. emmer cool i'm kind of surprised to to hear honestly but to each their own I, I might just be one of those dirty reanimator players who just loves enormous creatures no matter what form they take well, well you'd have to play tin fins because you can't even put it in your graveyard you got to instant speed reanimate it you're saying words about other formats that aren't ETH and they're not computing. I'm sorry, buddy. It's instant speed reanimation, Joey. Th- this does sound interesting. I-, I am actually curious about this, but we're an EDH for well, all right, EDH right well, all right, we'll, we'll keep moving on. We'll keep moving on. Right. State of the EDH format. EDH format. How about this? How about we challenge some stats then? How about we take a brief break from looking at the EDH format and we instead look at the data about the EDH format? Okay, yeah, we we can do that then. Let's go. <laughs> Did that transition make sense? No. Did I force it? Maybe a little bit. But you know what? We're sticking with it. There's a bunch of data on EDH rec, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think that cards see too much or too little play. So we'd like to challenge those stats and one of our favorite things to do here on the podcast Matt, if it's all right with you, I'll actually go first with our listener submitted challenge because we've got a really spicy one from our user Tharja in the Discord. Matt, are you familiar with the new Miracle Lord of Bones commander from Baldur's Gate? Um, I know I opened one in a pack, but that's about it. I believe it's the Jund God, correct? It is the Obzon God, which oh, is, you, you were close, you were close. Um, whenever your creatures die, you can exile them and then make enchantment versions of them, tokens that are enchantments instead of being mm. creatures. So it's like an Obzon enchantress kind of thing. And our listener here put forward a very good card, a very good challenge here for a card that is being overplayed in a miracle deck and that is esper sentinel which currently shows up in about 22 percent of the miracle decks that have been built so far esper sentinel is of course a fun card that we've seen a whole bunch of decks that include white love to play because it draws you a bunch of cards but there's a specific non-bow here that tharja is picking up on that i think is important for us to keep in mind esper sentinel says whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn you draw a card unless that player pays mana equal to esper sentinel's power and While this could draw you some cards initially, if your goal is to have a bunch of creatures die and then for your Miracle Commander to make enchantment versions of those things instead, the enchantment version of Esper Sentinel would not have a power and toughness and therefore wouldn't draw you any more cards at all. So it might be a better idea to find a different creature that helps you draw cards that would turn into an enchantment that helps you draw cards instead of using Esper Sentinel. Famous card, famous staple type of card, but... 
Tharja has picked up on a pretty good non-bow here that I think is very worth considering, especially when it comes to a card that is like 20 to 30 bucks. So keep your eye out for that one. Really good pick. I love when our listeners submit overplayed cards. Uh, it's it's easy to find like hidden gems because the whole format's full of hidden gems. But finding cards that people are playing too much of, mm. those are always my personal favorites because like, oh, yeah, good call. Like, I didn't think of that. So anyways, back to mine where I'm going to shout out a hidden gem because, of course, I can. <laughs> um, so Zyator the Incinerator is one of the most popular commanders from Streets New Capenna so far. It's the Riveteers commander. So the Jund for us paper boomers. Uh, Zyator. <laughs> Tora is the 6-6 with a uh, flying demon dragon legend. Uh, at, and it says, at the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another creature. When you do, Zyatora the Incinerator deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target, and you create three treasure tokens. So I have put Zyatora into my Vivictus Asmati, the Dire deck. Uh, it's one of my favorites, just because Chaos Warp, Tribal, it's turning everything into everything else. <laughs> and so if you have a deck that likes to sacrifice a lot of things, one card that I found is extremely powerful because it lets you sacrifice your opponent's things, which doesn't normally happen, is Molten Primordial. So Molten Primordial <laughs> is five red red for a creature avatar. It's a six four with haste that says when Molten Primordial enters the battlefield for each opponent, gain control of up to one target creature that player controls until end of turn, untap those creatures, and they gain haste until end of turn. So it's kind of a mini insurrection, but it's on a creature so you can sacrifice it to Zytor's ability itself. But what's more fun than stealing your opponent's best creature, smacking them with it, and then sacrificing <laughs> it to Zyatora to smack them again with it? This card does not show up on Zyatora's page at all, and it's kind of underplayed in general. The, the Primordials are such a powerful cycle because it's one of those rare things that say each opponent. You're getting mm. something with more opponents in there. Uh, Sepulchral Primordial. I, Reanimator. I know. I hear you, Joey. Oh, yeah. That's another fantastic one because you're using your opponent's best stuff to beat them up. And so Molten <laughs> Primordial is just, it's great because you're able to take their biggest and best creature you get it for a combat step, and then you can also fling it at them and, and use it to Zyator's ability. I just think in these types of decks where you're you're sacrificing a lot of things for value, and the bigger the better with Zyator specifically, anything that's going to let you take your opponent's stuff in these aristocrat-style decks is super powerful. So Molten Promoto is just one of my favorite effects for that. And so definitely if you're playing Zyatora, which Molten Promoto doesn't even show up on the page at all. It's not being played. I think it's in like 2% of Zyatora decks. I just, oh, people, this card's so fun. It's so good. <laughs> uh, so maybe tick that number up a little bit. I appreciate that pick. But you know what? You just brought up Zyatora there. And I actually want to linger on Zyatora as a card design here as we move back into our topic about the health of the format. Specifically, I think it would be important for us to spend a little bit of time talking about stuff that we maybe don't like, some problems that we do diagnose about the format, not just on the player side, but also on like, hey, Watsi, here's some stuff that we want to provide some constructive criticism about. And Zayatora is actually a, a, a big piece of one of my lessons or one of my, my hopes or messages that I would like to send to Wizards of the Coast. Before I get to that, I think it's really important for us to like add in the caveat that like we are not game designers, that Watsi's job no. is like extremely hard to do. And these are not our entitled demands for what we say must happen in the format, but just like things that we hope to see that kind of deal. Like, you know, if we want feedback to be heard, it ought to be constructive. And I think I... I hope I have a constructive thing to say about Zyatora and other legends that are like it. Um, so another example that actually jumps to my mind here might be Prosper Tomebound or Tivit, the new Tivit commander, the Esper Sphinx. And actually, I'll even put out my own Sir Conrad here as another example. Basically, like I do like a lot of these commanders, but these are commanders that I would call quote unquote self-contained commanders, where like one part of the commander asks a question and then the other part of that commander answers that question. So like Sir Conrad, for instance, he can deal a bunch of damage whenever creatures hit graveyards. And then he also has an activated ability that allows him to put stuff into graveyards. And I'm like, listen, buddy, I love you. My Conrad deck is, is one of my favorites. But did he actually need that last part? Or like Prosper both gives you a bunch of treasures and is a card supplier engine for that same strategy. Tivit has the you can vote multiple times text, but then also has the and you get a bunch of artifact tokens connected to it. And Zyatora is a fling commander dueling a bunch of damage to opponents, 
But then it also makes your treasure tokens just because so that you can play more of those big things. And that to me is like, okay, these commanders feel like they are doing the full engine all on their own. And this is a design space that I am a little bit worried about if we see more and more of that in the future. Matt, does any of that resonate with you? Well, we did an episode not too long ago about setups and payoffs and, and just kind of finding that balance within your deck. And we mentioned this very problem of sometimes when the commander is both the setup and the payoff, that's where you get some problematic commanders and problematic decks. So yes, I I do agree that having both of those, like you said, the question and the answer on the same card, that's not really conducive to, there's no problem to solve. The the deck figures itself out very quickly. And so Mm -hmm. you're kind of flavoring it. You're not really actually (laughs) doing anything. Um, so I do agree that having both ends of the spectrum, that you have the setup and the payoff, the cards that enable themselves, however you want to put it, having those in the command zone, that typically is where we find commanders that either get very, very powerful and people tend to try to break them as, as hard as possible, or you get these commanders that end up just nobody wants to play against because, oh, well, you're just doing everything and, and <laughs> they get you bore yourself. I, I think another good example of that was uh, Prime Speaker Vanifar, where you're able to tutor everything out. You just chain through it and you play the same loop every single game on turn three. Oh, sure. I think that's another good example of a card that kind of solves itself because there it's doing a little too much maybe. And you could have just cut off the, the first or second half of the card and it still had been perfectly fine. There is an interesting trend that we've noticed on this podcast before about this paradox of niche commander creatures being solvable. So like the niche legends are things that we really enjoy. We love to see, you know, a, a, an, an obscure mechanic from a way old set, get a commander that helps bring that mechanic. You can build a whole deck around it. But sometimes that does have the after effect of the deck, quote, building itself. I think we've put forward um, Kadena, the Morph Commander, and Gavi Nest Warden as some extreme examples of this. And we've even interrogated the data a little bit to see that these commanders from deck to deck to deck, from player to player to player, they tend to look very, very similar because they are, in fact, so neat. And this is a little bit interesting when it comes to other more of the powerhouse famous commanders like Muldrotha, for example, and I would probably even put Prosper into this as well, where those commanders do so much on their own that they have more flexibility. And flexibility is a thing that we want from our commanders. We'd love for our commanders to fill a specific niche, but also not only work in that niche. But it's weird that some of the more powerhouse commanders that, as you as you mentioned, Matt, uh, kind of do everything, they have the best ability to do whatever that they want. They have the best ability to shift. So it's it's an awkward thing for us as players where we want stuff to be niche and yet still flexible. And sometimes those things feel like they are at odds. And I feel like the commanders that solve themselves or that answer their own questions, uh, those are some of the biggest culprits to look at when it comes to commander design of how we can navigate that thread with a bit more balance, hopefully, question mark. Well, and, and I guess to feed off of what you were saying here, just about solvable legends, and there's so many of them out there, I would just take one step back and just say the surplus of legends, the the sheer volume of commanders. And, <laughs> and this very, I understand, it feels like we're complaining about too much of a good thing. But again, if all you eat is ice cream, <laughs> it's not a balanced diet. And so <laughs> right. to me, I, I see a bunch of commanders out there. I, I see stuff like Agnes, uh, the Dragon's Lash, which we saw in, in Streets of New Capenna. I see a lot of those commanders, actually. We got so many of them that if you put them in a typical set that we would have had in, you know, just a couple years ago, even they would have been one of the most popular commanders, but because there's 20 plus commanders with every single set these days, it's so easy for stuff to get caught up in the wash. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're forgetting about these very, very powerful and very, very fun commanders and fun designs that Watsy doesn't think are popular, but it's just because we get 87 legends every two weeks. Yes. And <laughs> Players can't keep up with that. And so it almost becomes self-defeating. You're not going to see a fun Grixis color commander because, oh, well, it, it's obviously not very popular. Players don't like that design because it's, you know, number 18 in the total, you know, in the most built commander from that, that set. Well, yeah, because you put 15 absolutely busted commanders <laughs> in the same set. So it, it's it's really hard because there are awesome designs. There are some very, very cool things that Wizards of the Coast is giving us, but it's so crowded and it, 
it, it's so hard to kind of parse and give attention to commanders that need the attention because we're just getting so much and and I, everybody's talking about it these days, I know, but there, there's a certain point to it. Like the product fatigue is getting very, very real. I, oh yeah, there's a lot to unpack about every part of that. So like Matt, I, I hope I said, ready, I said a lot of things and <laughs> some strong opinions. I get it. So yeah, t- no, go for it. I, I, I'm of two minds about these surplus legends and I lean more towards one way, but we've discussed, and if Dana were here, I think he would also, uh, be very, very happy to point out that like we do like having more options. It's not just like, oh, you have exactly one commander that can do the one thing. If there are multiple commanders for a singular strategy, if there are multiple commanders that are focused around the blitz mechanic, for example, which there are in New Capenna, like this is a thing that we like to see. There are a lot of different ways that you can work around this particular mechanic and enjoy it. That That is nice to have multiple options, but the surplus of legends does have an effect. And the, the solvable commanders that we were just discussing, that is an effect that is worth being aware of. And the demand that it puts upon the designers is also like... I hope they're getting to to sleep because they're designing so many <laughs> commanders these days. I'm just like, I hope that, you know, the, that the engine is taken care of for everyone. Engines need a rest, even in cars. I don't know much about cars, but I know that an engine that goes on forever is not a well-maintained engine. But I, I love the point that you brought up about how it actually does kind of obscure or bury relevant data when there are so many legends that come out in a set. Well, another trend that we've noticed on EDH rec is that it tends to be about like the top three commanders. Sometimes the top four commanders of any given set have just as many decks built between just those three or four as the rest of the other 20. And that is kind of inevitable for almost any set that comes out. And that does skew data for the designers to see what play players do and do not like. And that is an important thing for me when it comes to how many legends we get. It would be, I think, important to not have so many legends because it's not just a lot to keep up with, but also because I think it might be burying very cool and interesting stuff under just so much that we can't keep track of it. And that prevents us from actually seeing the stuff that we as players really enjoy. And it prevents Watsy from being able to see what players enjoy too. So I, I love the fact that you brought that up. That is a really big thing for me. I think Having a lot of legends is nice, but not all of them are writing that line between solvability and flexibility as much as I would like. And when there are so many of them, that's uh, a thing that I, I hope can be like scaled, retooled a little bit. And so that we can get the most relevant data for us as players and for designers. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it, Joey. I I hope that Watsi also doesn't look at what is popular and make judgments based solely off of that. Like yes. they see, oh, well, this 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 commander doesn't have that many decks. Uh, guess people just don't like the way that we try to do that, it, especially when it comes to like, oh, we're trying to fix a, a known problem in the format with whether it's card draw or ramp and white. And they see, oh, well, people aren't just playing this card very much. They, I guess we didn't do a very good job. <laughs> it might have been a great execution, but it just it's just not catching on because there's so much else to that it's competing with right. within its own set much less the entire freaking format so <laughs> it's and like i feel i mean so the the data on edh rec it is very helpful but sometimes it can be self-defeating and so i hope that all of that whatever they're trying to glean from using edh rec if they do but i mean gavin has said a couple times he even said on this podcast that they, that they use the site. Mm-hmm. So it, that is kind of helpful. But hopefully they don't see it and kind of say, well, I guess we won't try that anymore. Because sometimes it's a great idea. Just it's so hard to keep up just as players and content creators and all of that. Mm-hmm. It we, we don't have time to really appreciate how awesome it is. But like people are obviously very, very excited about Streets New Capenna. There are 11 commanders that have over a thousand decks to them. Like that's a, that's a ton. People are building a ton of decks, but also there are commanders down at the bottom of the list that are just as cool as the top five, but just with there, there's only so much space. And so I, I, I guess if I could make one request is spread the legends out. Like you don't have to cram every single design that you have on file into every set and you have to create new ones like pocket <laughs> 20 for a set, <laughs> spread them out. Goodness gracious. It's, it is a lot to keep up with. And as players, it's, it, it's important for us to like, we definitely want to note, not every product has to be for every person. That is a thing that I think players are probably even sick of hearing. But like, if I'm going to be a little bit 
get a little bit of attitude in here. I'm not sure if that's a message that Watsi has entirely internalized because every product is being manufactured like, oh, commander players must also have something to appeal to them in, in this set too. And, and it's like, we don't need that. I know it's very profitable for you. And it's very difficult for me to tell you to stop doing something that is clearly so profitable for you. Yeah. But it it is it is a lot of stuff. And again, let the engines rest. Like, let <laughs> it's, it's nice for an engine to be able to rest. We have enough legends. We don't need... 60 more legends in a bonus set give us some more reprints that that oh, yeah. wouldn't be a bad thing like i i not and i'm not saying that i didn't enjoy Baldur's gate because i very much did like the, the set's fantastic it's probably one of my favorite <laughs> sets in the past few years i love it but we don't need it every single year I, I think especially another thing about the product overload and surplus of legends i think this is another byproduct that comes out of this is that there are times where the designs sort of step on themselves in a way that i do think is a little bit weird odd uncomfortable strange um, for example, Ishin, Two Heavens is One, who doubles your attack triggers, and Wolfgar, who doubles attack triggers. Like, I know that these are not the exact same card. I know that they do technically have slightly different abilities, but those two commanders both do effectively the, the, the same style of deck, the same style of aggro double up attack triggers. And it's weird that those things came out so close to another. And mostly the difference between them is what colors they actually are in. Like, those are design steps where I'm like, huh. That feels to me like a miscommunication somewhere. On the line. Like that feels to me like, yeah, I'm not sure that that should have happened. And, and so I get the color pie. They're trying to do the same things in the color pie or, or explore it, whatever. Um, but yeah, some congruency would be uh, would be very much appreciated. Well, and honestly, I think this also probably ties into another point that we've made before on one of our Rec Room episodes. We had a Rec Room episode about treasures when we saw a whole bunch of them coming out in New Capenna. And a big takeaway, and this is the thing that Dana had put forward and that really resonates with me, and I think it became kind of a pretty big conversation in the community, is just about like when mechanics overstay their welcome. So treasure is one of those things that we really enjoyed when we first saw it, and then the absolute deluge of them in Nukapena was a bit fatiguing for a lot of us. Um, and it certainly changed a lot of the ways that we engage with Commander. Like stuff has shifted as we see more and more of those little artifact tokens that can add more mana. And then another thing that Dana brought up in that episode was also Goad, which definitely became a conversation online. And because it was a conversation online, it all got types of twisted. But like the, the takeaway for me is that Goad is another mechanic that potentially could be overexposed if Wizards of the Coast does too much of it. So so this is my, I don't know if plea is the right word, but like Wizards of the Coast, if y'all happen to be listening, like sometimes the light touch is what we love so much about these mechanics. Like there's a lot of good coming from them, but some of these mechanics, we, we notice sometimes in design where these mechanics come back in full force and then the community reaction to them is not always delight. Sometimes we're a little bit scared. And that's the thing that I would also want to watch for. I can imagine there being a lot of times where Wizards of the Coast sees that the community likes something and then goes full force with it, but we didn't need to. The light touch would have been perfectly appropriate. Uh, treasures is thousand percent that effect. <laughs> uh, uh, Goad, I I like Goad. It's probably one of my favorite mechanics that we've we've gotten in a while. I I love Goad. I play Goad in a lot of decks. I've got a Goad I, deck. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just think that there's a density that uh, we're going to get to a point. I, and I don't want to say don't make any more goad cards because like I, I I love it I I think it's a, a fun spice mechanic one or two cards in a deck and finding a way to 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 do that because it's it's a very big swing it's getting close ish but I just I hope that they don't take goad and and turn it into treasures that we <laughs> we did recently that that or just any mechanic and and yeah. treasures they were very cool they were very flavorful when we first saw them on Ixalan we liked it don't run into the ground because there are a few effects that are getting that that treatment that that's exactly it really i don't want anything to become treasures <laughs> like don't no. like if there's something that we like the the reason that we like that we like it might be because it is a little bit more infrequent um and i know that this is a difficult thing because we've seen like you know when energy happened but there wasn't a legendary creature for energy we were like well we want a legend for this we want more of this but then there's also stuff like goad where we're like the community says we do like this but sometimes if a thing gets too much focus, that can sometimes affect the way that we engage with it. Yeah. And so I don't want any mechanic at all, whether it's goat or whether it's trample, <laughs> to be like, here's a whole bunch of it. And now instead of being like a little bit of mustard on the sandwich, the entire sandwich is mustard. Yeah. I, I already don't like that. I, <laughs> I hate I hate mustard. So that you just. Uh. 
And for the record, I'm also not a huge fan of mustard. Matt, we just lost listeners again when we that, that's gave our fine. mustard hot take. <laughs> I, I, we're just we're never getting sponsored by Grey Poupon. I, I get it. <laughs> All right. So those are some of the things where we've been a little bit like, all right, Watsy, here's a, not a warning from the, here's like a, a plea from the community. We, we like, yelled at some, clouds. We, we yelled, yelled at clouds, clouds for a few minutes. But let's let's end on a, a, a certainly more positive note about stuff that we really want to see more in the future. Like Matt, when it comes to not just your um, anxious uh, thoughts about the format, but your hopeful thoughts about about the format, like your joyous moving forward thoughts about the format. What is it that you hope to see more of as time goes on? Well, one thing that I really like that I wish we would keep getting more of is incentives to play less colors. Mm. Uh, that's one thing I've, I've said a few times over the past few episodes. Uh, one of our, our good friends of the show, Olivia Gobert Hicks, she also goes on record saying, why can't we just get more reasons to play mono colors? And it's a great point. There, there's not a whole lot of reasons. Sometimes it feels like you're kneecapping yourself for playing only two colors, which is like, <laughs> it's so weird to say. But there's, there's cards like War Room and Commander's Plate that yeah. reward you for playing fewer colors in your deck. And I just, I wish there were more of those because multicolor, like there's so much support nowadays for three color decks, four color decks, finding ways to fix their mana. There, you, there's always so many options out there. And so finding ways to kind of support the fewer color decks, that is one thing I would like to see more. Uh, kind of get explored. Oh yeah, give us more of those unnatural growth type of cards that have a lot of pips in their their casting costs, so that they aren't accessible to just any deck. You really do have to play them in a very dedicated strategy. And I don't know, maybe there's more mechanics like devotion that would help encourage that type of thing. Maybe there are more rewards mm-hmm. for playing more of a specific basic land type, for example. There are a lot of different ways to um, to approach that, and I would also love to see that as well. I, I would love to see devotion come back. That was that was a fun mechanic. It was easy to reward yourself for going heavy into one color. Yeah, I I, I would enjoy that. Another thing, I think the thing that I am most excited to see more of would be basically don't end the game yet designs, which is the technical term. Um, but there have been commanders like Brina the Demagogue or the new Captain Nagathrod that I think really encourage this type of play that I know I really, really enjoy. So Brina the Demagogue specifically is a political black-white commander that asks everyone to attack each other but doesn't want everyone to gang up on the person with the least amount of life. You have to attack uh, one of Brina's opponents who has more life than everyone else or at least who doesn't have the, the least amount of life. So you're not just all ganging up on one person. You're not trying to kick one person out. You want everyone to stick around for a while. That is the type of gameplay that Brina encourages. Captain Nagathrod also steals stuff from your opponents and puts it into play. And there are a whole bunch of cards uh, like that from Baldur's Gate where stealing from your opponents is a, a strategy that they cultivate. But the thing is, if your opponents ever do die, then all of the stuff that you stole from them goes away with them. So you don't actually want them to die right away. You want to beat your opponents, but you want everyone to stick around and hopefully you can wipe them all out at the same time, maybe. These are important design choices that I really hope to see even more of in the future. Of These commanders that don't encourage you to just pick on one player. That's not even the right way to say it. A commander that doesn't encourage you to, to like... The gameplay doesn't inevitably force you to like attack one person till they're dead and then attack one other person. And like, I don't know if the game can go longer with everyone in it. That is just the style that I'm trying to say that I really enjoy when the a commander can capture that vibe. Well, and, and Sword Coast Sailor was a background that came out in Baldur's Gate uh, where commander creatures you own have whenever this creature attacks a player. If no opponent has more life than that player, this creature can't be blocked this turn. So it's it's a fun way to make sure you're going after the highest life total opponents. You're not just beating down the, the one person. And mm. now sometimes that one person deserves it. They're, they're the problem at the table. They, they have the biggest <laughs> board state. But yeah, I, I do like the spreading out the punishment type of effects. Like Brina is a good example because it definitely encourages these moments of, well, if I attack this person, I'll get this extra bonus. And I kind of need that bonus right now. I've definitely had those those thought processes cross my mind in games. And so seeing cards like that, I, I do like incentivizing going after and kind of spreading the hate and that's a really bad way to put it actually spreading the the beats i i don't know i i no, spreading the hate we're sticking with it matt throwing uh, shade over here let's let's not put that on t-shirt please that that feels real risky 
No, but yeah, getting more benefits, the more that players get to stick around. Like that is a a healthy um, game state that I would love to see more of. And there are these small hints of designs that encourage that play pattern. And I really like seeing them. And I would I, I hope to see even more of them, whether it's in the form of those backgrounds or in the form of those Captain Nagath rods, if I am pronouncing that one correctly. He's very spooky and very weird, but he encourages a style of gameplay that I really like. Yeah, I mean, th- there's all sorts of different ways that they can explore this. So yeah, I I do agree. Finding more reasons to keep players around <laughs> for, for until the end of the game. I, I, there's always kind of some fun, satisfying feeling when you knock everybody out all at the same time. And so yeah, finding ways to get... Yeah, that's a good way to put it now that you actually explained it. The the don't end the game or, or how can we make the game last so that everybody's involved the whole time. Yes. I do like those types of effects. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Those are optim- optimistic things to to hold on to, to look forward to in the future. And they're things that we've seen evidence of already. And so, like a conversation that's come up a couple of times before that you put forward, Matt, um, is that you get worried when Wizards of the Coast designs too much with Commander in mind. And this actually isn't a, a mindset that I share with you. Like, I actually do appreciate when Wizards of the Coast designs stuff specifically for Commander because I look like I look at cards like Grey Merchant of Asphodel or Exsanguinate or Ristic Study, and I'm like, these were not made with the multiplayer experience healthiness in mind. Um, and then I see, you know, cards like a bunch of the white cards from the Baldur's Gate set, and I'm like, these are made with Commander players in mind, and these are really good. These are really fun. These are exactly the type of things that we as a as a community have been really hoping to see. Excellent cards for for these colors, and excellent cards for these strategies. So I guess I just want to ask you, like, are you still like concerned when it comes to the way that Watsi designs for Commander? I know that that's a, a thing that you've raised on the podcast a couple of times about like this, like, oh, there's a lot of uh, attention being put onto the Commander format. Is this still more of an anxiety or more of a hopefulness? Like, wh- where do you land on that right now? Do you think when it comes to all of the stuff we've discussed? Well, Joey, you made a really good distinction there that I, I would I would key in on is you said, oh, well, sets like Baldur's Gate. There, do you do you want them to design with Commander Mind? Well, well, of course I want them to design with Commander Mind when the set's called Commander Legends. <laughs> it's the sets like Streets of New Capenna. It's the mainline main releases where I don't. It's not that I don't want. I don't think we need okay a, a thousand legends and all these massive cards in there for Commander specifically. All the, and you can tell when a card's a plant and, and getting. Four legends per faction in every single set. We don't. We don't need that. Like <laughs> okay. it goes back to our previous point of yeah, th- it's too much of a good thing. There's there's so much crowding that we we lose sight of some of the the very very cool things. And I want to appreciate the cool things that they're doing in those offices of Wizards of the Coast. It's not that I don't think that they shouldn't design with with Commander in mind because when they do sets like Commander Legends, obviously I would love it. it when they pick reprints for double masters two and all those kind of reprint sets Mm. yes i would love it if they kept us in mind for those reprint sets it's the constant pressure and and like i said earlier and i still stand by it i think commander can handle the pressure but it's still putting pressure on it nonetheless and i think it's not so much pressure on the format but pressure on the players Mm. to keep up like sometimes it's a blink and you'll miss it type of thing. And, and honestly, that's how I felt for Baldur's Gate preview season. I <laughs> sat down to do my pre-release and I had to read every single card because I had no idea what most of these cards were. Just I just couldn't keep up anymore. No, that that is that is fair. I appreciate you making that distinction back at my distinction. That is uh, a, a good point to make. And it does loop back into the same stuff that we mentioned. I, I think overall, I just hold so much optimism about the stuff that I've seen evidence for. There's certainly a lot of stuff where I'm just like, all right, Watsi, what's going on? But I think generally what we've seen is a receptivity to that. Yes. Um, you know, we, we've seen that like Watsi's been like, okay, yeah, Arcane Signet, we we done shouldn't have did that. Uh, we've seen them be like, all right, all these commanders like Golos that have five color activated abilities, even though they don't cost five colors to actually cast. The community was good at responding to that as a situation for us to like be aware of. Yeah. And so generally, I just hope that any of this is helpful to listeners to hear what we think about how stuff is going on. And I hope it's helpful to Watsi too, because there's so much hope that we've got here because they've proven it to us that they're capable of so much awesome stuff. And there's other ways that we think might also help continue to find more of those amazing experiences that we can create with each other. There's plenty for the players to do, but there's some stuff that we hope that Watsi does as well. And that's just good to take note of. Yeah. And the, and 
like we said at the top of the show, that there's always room for improvement. There's always little things that we can be tweaking. But again, Commander is in such a fantastic place. It, it's a great format. I mean, we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be making this show about any other format. I, Joey, I don't think you would either. Like, the, the fact that we're sitting here 200 plus episodes into this podcast and other podcasts are twice that many, if not more, like that's just a testament to like, how amazing the format of Commander is, how great of a job Sheldon and the rest of the rules committee have done. Watsy has been designing cards. It's just, yeah, there, there's sometimes there's always room for improvement, little things that we can be doing just to keep making it a better format overall for everyone involved. As you said, the checkup was nice. Things are going well, but we got to remember to sleep and eat some veggies. Sleep and eat your veggies. Get that blood pressure down, friends. <laughs> there you go. All right, Matt, let's call this episode to a close. Uh, this was a, a whole bunch of fun. And listeners, of course, we want to hear uh, from you about what you think is going on with the format, where you think uh, things are going, and if you like the direction that things are headed. But for now, Matt, if listeners want to get in touch with you, where is it that they can find you? Well, you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. We have guests on every single week. The games are always super fun. And don't forget, patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where you can support <laughs> the show directly. Since Dana's not here to plug it, I will take up that banner. <laughs> I love it. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit altersleeves.com slash edhretcast for cool custom edhrec sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, edhrec your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>